Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here doing Facebook Live with our podcast, Invested, where we're talking about how to invest like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, great investors who've been in a family of investing we call Rule One Investing or Value Investing since, ni- since uh, 1930. That's true. About 85 years, 80, almost 90 years now of investing success. This is where the largest rates of return come from uh, over historical long-term returns. And how you do it is pretty, pretty simple. It's so simple. It's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much depth behind simplicity. Yep. It's really a beautiful comment, much like modern architecture. Well, much like riding a bicycle, I think, is a lot more accurate than modern architecture. That sounds scarily difficult. Riding a bicycle is pretty simple, but it's not easy. All right, I'll take that one. There you go. (laughs) But we all learn how to do it. I mean, speaking English is not easy, right? I mean, I don't even know if it's simple, but we all learn how to do it. So investing is kind of its own language. We just learn how to do it. It's a, it's a really good thing to say. Yeah, I think it's totally its own language. And I think that that language and not understanding it or speaking it puts so many people off, including me, puts so many people off this entire thing whatsoever. I mean... You know what's crazy? Most of that language you don't even have to say. It just becomes jargon, little what? shortcuts. What do you mean you don't have to say? You don't have to say those words. You don't need to make it difficult to understand but jargon makes it difficult to understand. We talk yeah. in terms of P ratios and right. at the money and uh, you know just jargon. It's a shortcut for I mean, saying I'm something that makes sense. I'm convinced the financial industry does it on purpose to make it seem like they have this like secret world that other people without the expertise cannot be allowed into and therefore we must pay them for their special expertise and look at all the words that we use that are so special. I'm convinced it's on purpose. It's just Uh, a marketing thing. I I think it is, and I think some of it's just being lazy (laughs) um, and assuming everybody knows what you're talking about. I remember- Yeah, that's true. Not too long ago, it's like, you know, I looked at something and I saw C-A-G-R. I'm like, Kager, Kager, like capital C, capital A, capital G, capital R. What the heck is that? I'm trying to think. What acronym would be appropriate in the context of this sentence where it's C-A-G-R? What does that possibly stand for? And then I Google it and it's compound annual growth rate. Which you use all the time. Which I use all the time. It just (laughs) never occurred to me to stick it in a sentence and say kegger. Yeah. Right? But yeah. they do it as a just non-thinking shortcut. No, and, and I mean, to be you know less flippant, it is certainly somewhat of a shared language amongst financial professionals. Fine, fair enough. Like, you have special words to describe things that are very specific. But for the rest of us, it's not helpful. It, it doesn't help. It's just help. frustrating. And it's I'm not, not into it. It's not that hard to invest. I mean, that's the whole key to this style of investing. One of the things that we like to do in this style of investing to make it easier is to simply copy investors that are best investors in the world. People who have very high rates of return and who invest for the long term, they look for wonderful businesses that are on sale that are easy to understand. Yes. That are not changing rapidly, that are kind of staying the same over a long period of time. Yes, and we've been doing what I think has been a pretty nice little series on these gurus, as you call them. I know. Um, Which I would was say, Dad, you're my guru for oh, investing. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> Thank you. 
I mean, we, we did interrupt our flow here a little bit by making an announcement. I know, we had a special bonus podcast last week, and we're so excited about our new book that we've written together, Invested. Yep, we, we, we wrote a book that to, to make investing more available, like to, to take it to investors, take it to people who are not interested in investing. Which is me. I mean, essentially, I wrote this book <laughs> selfishly, much like the podcast, entirely selfishly, because I've been through it and I wanted to get my thoughts down and write down the journey I'd been through with you, my guru, and talk about the details of every step I went through because no one has talked about this stuff. Right. And it's so important for all the people who, like me, have been so utterly turned off by the financial industry, confused by the options out there. It's not that we're stupid. It's not that we don't know what we're doing. Like, we're smart people. Right. It's a matter of simple education and putting the time and the interest into it, which is something people like say very glibly, and it's actually a pretty high bar. So yeah, it's I, a high bar, and I think that there's an awful lot of people, and I think in particular there's an awful lot of millennials Mm-hmm. who are avoiding coming to grips with investing at all. Totally. Right? It's like they, they're looking well, at, uh, I say they, it's like. I would a, say lots of people in lots of generations. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, a almost a shift to what's really important, right? So you go back into the depression era generation, what was important was having money down the road to live on mm-hmm. at some point. Uh, and whatever you had to do to get there, right? Reliable money. Yep. Yeah. And then from that, we've gone through successive generations, and now the millennials, an awful lot of millennials are about, I need to live a life now. I've watched what other people have done, and they just postpone their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our friend Tim Ferriss wrote a fabulous book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which was just right to the heart of this, that you you can live a great life now. You don't need to be a, 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 a corporate wage slave to have a good life. And that is what our book is about. And financial freedom. About. Yep. Because financial freedom creates the baseline from which happiness can produce, can be produced. I mean, there are so many financial worries that we all have, and if we can take those away, your life's not going to be perfect. But it's a lot easier. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to just focus on the stuff that actually is important. Yep. To go do that amazing job that might have a lower salary, to stay home, take care of your kids, to make sure your kids can go to college and there's no worries about it. Yep. To whatever, like take off, go live on an island. Like I don't care. Get, whatever your get thing to is. Your dharma. Exactly. I mean, I, I, get I, get I, to what you're meant to be doing. I in your brought life. you up with this concept mm-hmm. of dharma and the idea that you have a, a, a role to play in this life and that it's really important to the whole world, to the sanity of the world. Did you find your dharma and get onto it? And unfortunately, it's a little bit like um, you know, you want to live a good life, but you're really ill all the time. If you don't have your health, you can't go do these other things that you're meant to do, right? But life isn't just about being healthy. It's about being healthy so you can go live this life that you're meant to live. And money is the same kind of basic idea. You're not meant to struggle your life away to get money. Money is just a tool for going after the things you're here to go for in exactly. your life and dharma. Lawyers would say it's a necessary condition, but it's not sufficient. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a necessary condition to a really good life, 
but it's not sufficient, and really don't mean a lot of money, just enough money, just yeah. enough money. And each of us have a different standard of what that enough money is. Right. And that's fine too. And I mean, to get right down to it, when you start to learn to invest and you begin to have higher rates of return in your investing with less risk and less losses and less downside, then all of a sudden you start to see that you don't need as much money to get to a comfortable place because your investing capital will continue to produce mm -hmm. good returns. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the whole yeah. thing works together really well. We just invite you guys to go get pre-ordering the book. and, and Yeah, uh, we would ask especially um, that you, I know it's so easy to order from the online booksellers, but I would just ask in the spirit of the book, in the spirit of supporting really wonderful companies with fantastic missions that you want to support, if you can order it from your independent bookseller, oh, yeah. that would be really great. That would you be know, great. The, support the bookstore on the corner if you can. and. Just do it through a phone call. You don't even have to go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Maybe they have a website. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. But just buy it, however you buy it. Yep. We, we would appreciate it, and we really think it's going to help. I hope it'll so, help a lot of people. The book's pretty different than the than the podcast. It's Genesis was the podcast. This podcast. absolutely, yeah. But the book's pretty different than that. I mean, right now we're down in the weeds a little bit, looking at companies that are owned by really great investors, you know, and trying to understand a little bit about how we can use these investors as a, a launching pad or a check a check against our own um, skill set. Um, and that's pretty that's pretty down in there. I mean, we've been doing this podcast for a long time and where you're at now, all this makes great sense. Totally. Right? And you will all get there. Really this, good point. This is this is part of what's, you know, simple about investing. This is pretty simple to copy a great investor. But you have to do it right. Yeah, you have, have to, to do, do it, it right. right. You have to understand what you're looking at. So shall we, shall we dive in a little bit on another one? Yeah, let me say the name of the book one more time. Okay. Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. And it's by both of us. So if you put in uh, rule1investing.com, danielletown.com, or if you Google either one of us on Amazon, it'll come up. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's Thanks, everybody. So All let's right. talk about. Let's get to Prem the business Watson. of the day. Well, let's talk about Guy Spirit. We said we were going to talk oh, about that's Guy. That's right. Yes. So Guy is a really, really wonderful person, and and uh, and so we're going to try to get him back on here. I really want to talk to him, and I hope some of these other people we've been talking about about their public portfolios. I mean, I don't want to ask them any private information unless they just, you know, happen to volunteer a scoop on our podcast. Yeah. Fine. But just talking about their public portfolios even would be so interesting because of all the stuff we've been saying about how how much there is we don't know from these filings. Right. We don't know about all the cash they have in reserves that right. they're not investing. Right, it doesn't show public. up in the public filings. It doesn't show up. We don't know if they've done, if they put any short I mean, positions. I mean, just like last week we were talking about um, uh, Manish Pabrai, <clears throat> and I had, I had to spitball the size of his portfolio. I think it's about a billion dollars. He has $136 million invested. So either he's got big short positions, and I don't think he invests like that, or it's in cash, which is huge to know, right? That these guys are sitting in cash. So absolutely right. Or you're wrong about the size of his portfolio. It could be wrong. Could be wrong. I mean, who knows? I think it might be a lot larger than that. Actually. It might be, actually. <laughs> he's pretty successful. So Guy has... Um, so yeah, so I'd like to get, I'd like to talk with Guy about yeah. it, but, but we're still going to chat about it. Yeah, just briefly. I mean, we're basically looking at how do you know this person is a, as a really good investor 
in this Warren Buffett style of investing. And the key is that they have more than 50% of their capital that you're seeing here in the top five investments. I have it written down in my book. Right, and, and Monash more was interesting. More than 50% in the top, in the top five. five. Five and five, <laughs> I can remember it. Five and five. And Monash, we found, had 100% in the top five. Yeah. Because he had four stocks and the rest is cash. Yeah, he did. So that's one extreme. Guy has a pretty large number of stocks. I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 stocks. But let's take a look at his positions. Um, now, now this that's is, not large compared to a lot of investors, right? It's just large compared to, to value, value investors. investors okay. Right. So, um, but compared to the people who are, you know, you're investing with out there, which would be mutual fund, most mutual funds and most indexes, an, an SPY index has 500 stocks by comparison. That's the S and P 500, that's the S &P right? 500, and a typical mutual fund has 100 or more. So these guys are even when they're just putting their toe in the water and doing practice shares. They're they're doing ultra concentrated. Yeah, ultra concentrated. Okay, so what what does he have? Tell I would me. say so. His first position is uh, American Express. American Express. Mm -hmm. All right, that's one we haven't heard before. Right. I can't wait to talk to guy about this one, American Express. Wait, how large is that one? Twenty-one percent. Okay. And I'm rounding. I'm rounding down okay. a little bit. Um, and American Express, of course, are the guys with the American Express card and American Express checks, and they're a kind of a banking lending company, right? They've been around a long time, very big brand. The second largest position is 17%, which is in Berkshire Hathaway dot B. Hmm. So Berkshire B shares. Um, That's what Alan Meacham had also. Exactly. Third position is Bank of America at 13%. Hmm. Um, and I'm pretty sure Guy got into Bank of America way back when Buffett did at, uh, Buffett had an option at six bucks. I mean, that's always the question is when did this Yeah, and you can click on these, you can go on our website, rule1investing.com, and you can click on any of these guys and up will come their portfolio and then you can click on the stock and it'll tell you when they got it. Nice. Right? Okay. And then this is an interesting one for you. I don't think we've ever talked about these kind of things, but this is a General Motors warrant. Oh dear, no. <laughs> I mean, I know what warrants are. Uh, right. I didn't know that you could publicly but they trade, trade them. them. Not all of them, but some of them are tradable. Hmm. And so Guy got a General Motors warrant. Oh, was it from the bankruptcy? It was through the, in, as part of this bankruptcy, they put out warrants. Yeah, I remember and those reading about that. warrants began to trade. Yeah, I remember reading about that. It was a really good deal. It was a really good deal. He was really smart to jump What on a that. warrant is, is a right to buy stock. Right. It's not actual stock, and it's a right to buy at a certain price. A certain price at a certain amount of time. These expire in 2019. So Interesting. He must have looked at that and said, there's a spread there between the price I'm paying and where it's going to be. Right. I'm going to make money. Um, that's the third position. That's 8.6% of his portfolio is in 1 million shares of General Motors warrants. And that's number four. Number five is 8% 8 uh, 8 on MasterCard Incorporated. So another credit card. Credit card. So he's in his top five, he's got American Express and MasterCard. He's got Berkshire, which is a vast financial conglomerate. And he's got Bank of America, which is a bank. So it's like financial, 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 and one car company. 
Yeah, and I bet that that was actually more of a financial, financial play. Because <laughs> so. to buy warrants is, is very interesting. I think so. So you can see a great investor like Spear is concentrating his portfolio in certain industries that he's very comfortable with, that are undervalued, that he thinks for whatever reason. So add that up. What is that total? Oh, I many? hate it when you make me add. Okay, go for it. Well, I, my, I missed the Berkshire. Your grandfather used to make me do this all the time in my head. Yeah, he used to make me do it too. I know, it didn't, didn't go work. over as well. Um, what's the Berkshire amount? Because I wrote it down wrong. Uh, 17. Oh, 17. Okay. So 21 mm. plus 17 is 38. Mm -hmm. Plus 13 is... 51. 51. Oh, yeah. Plus 8 plus 8 is 67. 67. Again, another 67. Did we have one before? Yeah. Oh. We had uh, Alan Meacham, 67. So this is um, two-thirds of the portfolio sitting in the top five companies. Yeah. Now, in addition to that, Guy has lots of other stocks, but they're a lot of them are... What do we call it? Practice, practice shares? shares. Yeah, I love that term. All right, so practice shares. It's so a book term. Now we can talk term. about things yeah, we can. all of our little terms <laughs> that I've come up with that are in the book. And by the way, in the next, just looking at Guy's portfolio, the next chunk is uh, Citigroup, Brookfield Asset Management, which is a real estate bunch of guys. So he's got MasterCard, American Express, Citigroup, Bank of America, Brookfield, um, and he's got Berkshire Hathaway A shares, so Berkshire and mm. Berkshire. Well, those ones he wrote about in his book. I don't know how many it says, but um, but he says he'll never sell them. 30, 30 A shares, which are now 217,000 per share yeah. each. So probably not the ones he bought originally then, but so if you, if I you, think he'll keep those forever. Uh, here's an astonishing number. If you'd bought Berkshire stock when Buffett was very publicly talking about, okay, you should go buy this stock back in 1969, all he started buying it in 66, um, I think he'd pay $14 a share ballpark. And it's now 220000 a share. So that, that worked, would work out. You, if you bought 1,000 shares, it would have cost you $14,000, and you would now have $2 billion. There are stories out there of some families in Omaha, like 10 or 15 families in Omaha, who had some money to invest. It's always the key, right? You always have to start with something. So they had some money to invest. They knew Warren Buffett. They were like, fine, sure. And that's all they did from then on. Like, they didn't have to do anything else. That's they it. just have their family money Done. in Berkshire sell a little bit when they need it. Generational wealth. Change, exactly. Generational, Generational wealth. wealth. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna object to you saying it's always the catch. You gotta have some money. Because when I started, that was my objection, right? When this guy came on that river trip with me and said, I'm gonna teach you to invest, I was like, yeah, well, I don't have any money. And his point was, you don't have to have any money. In fact, having money doesn't do you any good because you don't know what to do with it. So what you have to have is knowledge. And you can get knowledge about investing without having the money. You can practice. You can use an Excel spreadsheet. You can, yeah. you can do paper trading. That's true. You can learn. You can listen to this podcast. You 100%. can read books. You don't need money to become an investor. It's a great time to practice. That's when you should practice. Because when you do get money, you're going to know what to do with it. 
Yeah, I'm waiting for the second part of this clause, which what? is what? <laughs> then when you have money. <laughs> yeah, then when you have money, you'll know what to do with it. But just waiting to learn what to do with it until you have money See, that's the, is wrong. Yes, that's the important section of that sentence. But that's it. Waiting a until you have money is not a good idea. Like, go for it now. You need to get to be, you need to get into how to teach this to people because it really, I'm going to say, I love you. It wasn't until you had money that you really started to be interested in investing. Completely. So I couldn't get you interested until you had money. And then you started to realize, oh, I need to invest this. I need to do something with this, even if it's just put it under my bed. Yeah. Right? But it's having money that triggered this interest in moving down the road. What we've got to do is convince you guys that you need to start down this road before you get the money. It's important to, to know how to invest well, and do it right now. That's the key. I mean, to be fair, I sort of technically didn't really have any money, but I kind of had money because I had a good salary, but I had student loans and I had a mortgage. So the money was going out the door and it wasn't until I sold my condo that I really like actually had money. And that's so what it was a, it was sort it. of a it was it was a situation but I think you're ignoring that it was a situation that so many people are in where we have all like done what you're supposed to do, which is go to graduate school, go to, go to, first of all go to like expensive college and then go to graduate school and get a good job. So like check check check. Mhm. And now you went check check Check, check, check. Yes, I went to a lot of school. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you totally helped me with a lot of, of that. For so, them all. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like I had a total leg up that a lot of people don't have, and I would never forget that. But the point is, like me and all my friends are all highly educated, and we are all trying to figure out how to get money, because. Student loans take so much money and buying a house takes so much money. Yeah. And like just feeling like you can even like get a foothold and it's it's in that limbo part where you start where I started to think, "Oh my god. What am I going to do? Like I don't know what to do. I can't keep going like this." Yep. And I think that's what makes Invested such a good book is that it really starts there with an I don't know what to do. And that I don't know what to do thing, while it certainly feels oppressive to you and your friends who are well-educated, you've got all the advantages of all of that, and, and certainly can get better jobs than most people. I mean, think about the rest of the world. I mean, think about the people like me where I came out of as a you know no-college river guide and thinking about investing. I mean, it wasn't even something I could think about. It hadn't had a gun at my head, kind of. So I, I think that what I love about your book is it's reaching, about our book, is it's reaching out to everybody who's afraid of this thing, who feels like it's just unreachable, mm -hmm. but starting to feel the pressure that you've got to do something. You've got to do something. Yeah, that pressure sucks. Yeah, that pressure sucks. So if you're listening to this right now live, I mean, and you're feeling that, get the book. And when it comes out, it's going to be really a big help. And Danielle's going to have, I think, some phenomenal 
things that you can use on their site that are going to help you that are fun to do and take you step by step. Yeah, there will step. be help because yeah. it, this is just the beginning, yeah. I think. Of just reading a book, is it's a starting point, you know? Yeah. But it gets you moving, and then we're going to have and some things And we're going to talk about that, it more on the podcast. Yeah. Like, there's going to be lots of help, and I think for we sure. can really change, <laughs> to, for lack of a better term, I think we can change the world. I think we can change the way the stock market behaves I if think, enough of us take control I of our I think that's money. exactly right. And I think no book has been written about investing like this one. Oh my God, ever. there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> this book ever. is like me and dad, like kind of like the podcast where we just like complain about each other Here a lot. We go. And it gets into our personal relationship. And Harper Collins was like, it should be on the bookshelf with investing, but it's sort of over in the memoirs. And sort of, of in the like how to personal psychology what is part it gonna, of thing. Yeah. Right. So, I and, mean, and guess what? The fact that we're not turns easily turns out that money touches everything yeah, big time. Yeah. And the fact that it's not within that box is what makes it for me a yeah. really awesome book that I would buy. You know what makes it really awesome for me? No. And for people who are learning to invest from us, I think it becomes an incredible course book and I think it becomes the first book you should read on this sort of trilogy of rule 1 payback time and invested. You should read invested first because it you forced me to get so basic and so simple. We got in so many fights. <laughs> we did. Uh, getting it just. He'd be like, I am explaining it to you. And I'd be like, no, you're not. You have People not defined that. the basic term. And he'd be like, I did it 10 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> and then we would hang up, and then he'd call me back 20 minutes later and be like, all right, fine. All right, fine. Here Here's how I define it. So, I mean, we distilled it down to the very most simple steps you can take to determine if a business is something that meets your value set, if it's something you should be part of, if it's something yeah. that's on sale. It's so, funny, it's hard fun. not to talk about it because like we're both so excited about it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah. I'm so, not trying to turn this into like but nothing but the book. Pre-orders um, of the book are, are out there and we'd love it if you go to your local bookstore. Yes. That would be rocking cool. That'd be great. So it's called if Invested. You get it from your local bookstore. For the We're supporting second time. the little guy. <laughs> yep. So let's get back to the gurus. Okay, so we're gonna come back to Guy later with him live if we'll if he'll join us. And here's another guy I would love to get live on this broadcast. And this is or this podcast. This is Prem Watsa. This is for all our Canadian students and fans up in Canada. Yeah, you've been spending a lot of time in Canada. I have, and it's been phenomenal. And the Canadians are so excited about investing because they they understand they have to do this. They're they're a country that has really great natural resources, but a lot of volatility with the price of oil, the price of gold, mm. the price of everything. And you need to diversify out of that into some other things, mm. right? So Canadians are all over investing. So you mentioned him, mm. I don't know, a few podcasts ago. He is, you said, the Warren Buffett of Japan. Warren Buffett of Japan. So does he have a fund or does he do like more private investing or what's he his does. deal? He does. It's uh, called the Fairfax, his, okay. his thing. Um, he's had a bumpy last two or three years or I think two or three years prior to last year. I think last year was okay. Um, because he's so focused and so deep into a few companies, right? And the company, excuse me, the company he's deepest into is BlackBerry. BlackBerry? BlackBerry. I thought BlackBerry was gone. No, but it is substantially gone. 
And there is... Did nobody buy it? Prem bought it, more or less. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it was originally a, it's originally a Canadian company, so oh, he's pretty familiar with it. And what he saw was that they had certain technology, they had a database, they had a lot of things that were very, very valuable, more valuable than the stock price. So this is a hmm. Ben Graham hmm. uh, big bet by, by Prem. Like in a sort of private equity play where he's coming in and changing how it's run? No. But, well, the, I think he's had a lot of influence on how it's run and what they're doing with the assets. But I think his long-term view is that they'll get the capital out of it. The assets are, his money is protected by the assets of that business that are saleable. Okay. Right? So that is currently 38% if you're keeping track of whether this guy's a rule one or not, right? Top five, 50%. Um, he's got 38 in BlackBerry. And this is a $1.3 billion portfolio. So the, the BlackBerry uh, investment is substantial. Um, the second one he's got is another controversial investment called Resolute Forest Products. He's got 21% in that one. And Resolute Forest Products owns a lot of trees hmm. in Canada. And the lumber business has just been nuts. Lumber and paper? Like for some reason now, lumber prices are skyrocketing, but tree prices are still going down. How does that happen? Right? I, I mean, I don't know either. It's just a, the weirdest contango strangeness that you could ever have about markets, but it happens. So this investment is still, still waiting for that thing to come around. Then Kennedy Wilson Holdings, which is um, real estate and very interesting real estate. He's got 18% in that. And um, that one is I'm fascinating. One of the reasons I love looking at these guys is because they give me some ideas. I've yeah. dug into this stuff before. I couldn't make sense out of BlackBerry. Um, but Resolute Forest Products, I could put a price on that. But it depends on where you think trees are going, right? Uh, tree prices. And then Kennedy Wilson is real estate. And man, my first look at Kennedy Wilson, it looked like it's selling for, you know how we did like the 10 cap thing? The value, the pricing? The owner earnings, yeah. Yeah. This thing is selling for like a five, excuse me, 10, 20 cap. Selling like unbelievably cheap. That's like really good. Selling for about half of a 10 cap price, which is just unbelievably good. Which means you would make 20% in the first year. In the first year on cash flow. So I haven't dug deep into it and don't take any of this ever as recommendation or advice or anything like that, that would be the worst thing you could do, completely antithetical to this kind of investing, which is very intensely based on personal responsibility and doing your own work. 100%. Okay. But I already forgot what which company you were even talking Kennedy about. Wilson, Kennedy Wilson, KW. Wilson. Oh, this is the one that's real estate. Yep. And then his next one, uh, position number four, is Intrepid Potash. Okay, can we just talk about something here? Sure. So I've got my little page of all the stuff we've been doing over the last however many podcasts about the gurus. Mm -hmm. There is almost no overlap except for Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I will refine that. There is no overlap except for Berkshire Hathaway. Very interesting point. Warren Buffett was criticized as being lucky rather than good, and he delivered a lecture to Columbia called the Super Investors of Graham, uh, uh, Graham and Doddsville. Yeah. And in it, he point, he brought out the track records of every stock of, I think, around 20 investors that he had all learned from Ben Graham. And there was almost no overlap among 20 portfolios with over 20 years per portfolio. 
Oh, All of them investing with the same exact strategy. Yeah, it's true. He and made, he no made the overlap. point that there was no overlap. He made the point there's no overlap. Yeah. So, by yeah. the way, that's a great article, and it's available online for yeah. free. PDF that it. thing. It's yeah. really wonderful. The super investors of Graham and Doddsville. One of the best things you could read, as kind of you get a twofer. And the first part of it is a complete indictment of modern portfolio theory, which is how your fund manager invests your money. Totally slamming that thing. And then a very clear presentation on how Buffett invests and why it works. It's a pretty darn good thing to but read. But I forgot that, there, that he made that. Yeah, okay. All right, so that's Protash. Now look at this guy. He's got trees, real estate. Potash is ah, fertilizer. Of course. Agricultural. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a form of fertilizer. Widely used, and Intrepid is a company that produces it. There's not very many producers of potash. There's maybe two. And potash two is a thing. Yeah, they mine it. Really? Yeah. And it's a fertilizer mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. mined. Mm -hmm. They put it out on the ground, that. and it it produces uh, better plants when you put it out there. Wow. So okay. potash. Potash. And um, his fifth position, and the, the potash is uh, four point eight. And the f call it five, and the fifth position is four. So the fifth position is USG Corporation. USG makes gypsum, sheetrock. Like sheetrock oh. is their sheetrock is their trade name. Oh. So everybody calls it sheetrock because these guys are manufacture the highest quality, and um, that company has been in and out of bankruptcy twice already. So it's a really tough business when you're hmm. dealing with the lumber industry. Hmm. Um, but he's bought into this thing in part, probably some time ago, because Buffett owns a big block of that company as well. Hmm. So add them up. What do we got for the top five? I mean, we're way over 50%. Yeah, we got to be. Do I need to even add? Okay, I, I'm going to do it. Fine. Okay, we got 38 and 21. That's uh, 59. Mm, 59. And 18 is 18 77. Is 77. And five. Plus, plus five. 82. 82. <laughs> and four is, is 86. <laughs> <laughs> so five stocks, 86% of a $1.3 billion portfolio. That's a rule one investor right there. That's it's just real easy. You go and look at Data Roma Guru Focus, my site, and you find these guys. You look how many in the top five done. But mm. you made the very important point when we were talking about Monish Pabrai, that he wasn't anywhere close to fully invested in his portfolio. So is that true also of uh, Prim. Prem Watson? I suspect Prim has some cash. I do. I, I don't know that he's fully invested, um, but I think he's a lot closer to fully invested than most of these guys. And the reason why I suspect that is because he's been buying a lot of stuff lately. Um, in the last quarter, this small is, amounts. Yeah, everything is like a itty bitty piece hmm. of. Listen to this stuff. A lot of commodity stuff. Arch Coal. These okay. guys have come come back from the dead. Chicago Bridge and Iron, big construction company for for power and energy, that's coming back from horrible misery. Carbo Ceramics. These guys make little tiny grains. How do you know all these companies? Oh, just you, you do this around. for a while. You 
these guys make these little bitty things. But every one of these companies has something in common. They all have pretty high returns on equity, which is why they've come onto my radar over time. Okay. So they make these little beads and they shove them into into fracking wells, and it holds open the cracks better than sand does. Northwest Pipe. There's drilling company, Taiwan Semiconductor. Now there's one that's not in the main list, right? Taiwan Semiconductor makes the chips that go into the iPhone. Oh. And they do it for both Apple and the Samsung. They do it for Samsung as well hmm. into their phones. So these guys have patents on some of that technology and they are looking for the next generation. So it's very much a tech company, um, but the, and I happen to know the catch with these guys is they're their CEO is now quite old and he's stepping down. So can they keep it up? So it's a Steve Jobs is leaving the hmm. is you know leaving hmm. the building sort of a deal. Hmm. What happens next with those guys? Um, so the, you know he's and, and it gets smaller all the way down to a little teeny piece of stereocycle. <laughs> <laughs> so these are all just tip. He's got l- less than 001 percent of his portfolio is in Stereocycle, very much a practice share. Yeah, very yeah. much. So these testing things are- Testing the waters. Testing the waters. So this is the way that we look to find ideas. And as you're looking to find ideas in this market, you start to build a watch list of companies that you understand. This is what I know you're doing, stacking up a list. A wish list, Dad. A wish list. A wish list. Of, please send me this company at my price. I love it so much. And just waiting patiently for the market <laughs> to do that, which is why many of these gurus are sitting in cash. Yeah. They've got their wish list. They're ready to go. They're waiting. As Warren Buffett has said not too long ago, every 10 years or so, we have an economic storm. And when we do, it rains gold. And when it rains gold, you want to go outside with a wash tub, not a thimble. So if you're staying in the market right now, then when it rains gold, all you have is a thimble to go out there with. You don't have any cash. But if you've pulled money out of the market soon enough, you then have a wash tub of cash ready to go. And when it rains gold, you go out there and collect it all up. And that's how one after another of these rule one style investors has made billions of dollars. And that's what I want you to learn. That's what I want you to learn how to do. And that's the key to great investing. Agreed. Make sense? Yeah. I'm still thinking about what to do as it goes up. <laughs> it's a little bit painful to watch it go. It is. Um, but it's too late to jump in there right now because of the emotional rule of investing, which states quite clearly that if you were to put your money in the market index right now, it would go down it would crash. immediately. <laughs> and it would be my fault. It's your fault. <laughs> Let's talk about a little bit of what, what to do as this market rockets into another year of wild returns. Let's do that next time. Sure. All set? Okay. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Time to go play. See you guys. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Head over to investedpodcast.com for our show notes and a special offer on how the podcast listeners can attend my three-day transformational investing workshop for free, where we just teach the heck out of you for three straight days. We don't sell anything and we get you a scholarship to come to it for free. So come on over there and take a look at that. And by the way, as our lawyers want me to say, everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion, my opinion's right, and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor 
have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So this podcast is just for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it. So until next time, time to go play.